Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to 90 Day with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on part one of the tell-all. First to arrive are Kara and Guillermo. They are good today, and it's not always like that every day, but today things are good. Kara thinks the other couples probably think that she is controlling, and she is most worried about keeping calm if somebody mouths off to her because Kara admits she has a mouth on her, too. Guillermo says he and Kara are still working on so many things. He is still learning about how Kara is in America, and it's so frustrating. Next to arrive are Muhammad and Eve. Muhammad is carrying Eve's bag that says, And so our adventure begins. As he helps Eve get out of the car in hideous, shiny green boots, she can barely walk in. Eve explains that it's very stressful, continuing to be the sole provider. She still has to work a lot and things are expensive. Nothing is cheap right now. And she has already been supporting the king of Egypt since he arrived in the U.S. And it's all very stressful. Binny and Ari's relationship is not perfect, but they are working on it. They're the couple to arrive next. Ari is sure there will be things that will come up today that Benny didn't tell her about or things that they didn't communicate well on. So that's what Ari is most concerned about. She says the men get a little bit more of a pass or a lot more of a pass in general and Ari just can't wait to express herself. The men do get huge passes. I can't disagree with that. Ari says she may be five feet tall, but she's tough. Guillermo and Muhammad are waiting in the green room and Guillermo expresses how it will be a very long day. Muhammad agrees he can't imagine how things will go. Patrick and Thais arrive next. Patrick says a lot has changed since the 90 days. Both good and bad, they have moved from Dallas to Vegas. So it's a whole new life all over again. Thais is worried about John because she doesn't want John to say something bad to her and she doesn't have the patience for it. Patrick doesn't know what will happen between his brother and Thais. He hopes it's cordial, but who knows what the hell John will do. Kara and Guillermo are in the green room with Benny, Muhammad, and Patrick. And Guillermo says, we have a bunch of strong people just to let you guys know you cannot fight with me because he says he can't handle it. Patrick is nervous to relive the tough conversations or to get into fights about the tough points all over again. Kara says it's always something. And Patrick says when you do the K-1 visa, it's like having a child who just can't do anything alone. Benny looks frustrated at that comment. He doesn't say anything with words, but you can read it on his face. Patrick goes on. He says, when you can't even speak English, it's like he has to make all the phone calls and all the appointments. He has to do this. He has to do that. Eve explains she has to do that anyways. Kara says it can sometimes be frustrating that the person can't work, but it's not that person's fault, of course, that they can't work. They want to work. They want to contribute. 
and they can't until they get the green card. And Eve mentions it's not our fault either. Kara agrees and she knows it feels they are still here having to handle everything, having to do everything. So it's a weird place to be in where you can't really be mad at anyone, but you feel it. Next up are Bilal and Shida. Bilal says it feels amazing being in New York. He's excited to meet the cast and to hash things out. Shida knows Bilal means well, but she says she's not a baby. She says Bilal is headstrong when it comes to understanding that he does a lot of mansplaining. He hates when Shida uses the word lecture. That's a word she shouldn't use. But Shida wants Bilal to see himself. And maybe when he sees that, he can then do things differently. Next up are Emily and Kobe. Emily says she and Kobe are a typical marriage relationship. Kobe says he isn't perfect, so he isn't here ready to point fingers at people or to focus on other people's relationships. But if anybody wants to come for him, he doesn't like problems. But if they want to bring the problems, he says, let them bring them. No problem. Next to arrive are Jibri and Miona. Jibri isn't nervous at all. He's ready. He's excited for the tell-all. But he says the tell-all isn't ready for him. Sure, the tell-all isn't ready for the man-child who at 28 years old lived with mommy and daddy who graciously allowed him that privilege to live under their roof as a grown adult with his fiance. And then when his parents wanted their man-child to commit to leaving and moving out when he said he would, that man-child at 28 with a fiance threw a fit about it rather than showing appreciation. Anna admits they have had difficulties adjusting to married life. Both Miona and Jibri have matching sidewalk chalk jackets that look like a five-year-old's art project explosion. Miona is going to give others whatever energy they give her, but multiplied. Jibri looks like the king of the nursing home in a sequin tacky jacket and pants that are supposed to resemble a firecracker. In my opinion, it just looks like someone vomited sequins all over him. He looks like an old school 80 year old grandma on retirement in Florida in all of their sequin glory. Ari jokingly asks Spinny if he is jealous of Jibri's suit. And Jibri tells Ari she stole his outfit because she has a glittery outfit on. She says she doesn't want to sit next to Jibri so she doesn't outshine him. Jibri says they will all look like they are from a different planet if Ari sits next to him. Ari says she is cuter. Thais thinks Jibri will get mad about something because that's the way he acts. She says Jibri was even fighting with his best friend. So why wouldn't he fight with someone here? Mohammed has a question for Jibri. He asks if Jibri really fought his friend. Jibri says he and David have a long history. He dated David's twin. David beat Jibri so bad that he put him in a coma. And Jibri's mom sent Jibri to boot camp after, to military school. And when Jibri got out of boot camp, he went to a party. He heard some girl singing in a corner and he asked what language that is. 
and they started dating and then she wanted to introduce Jibri to her twin brother. Her twin happened to be the same dude who put Jibri in a coma. So Jibri decided since he was dating his sister, they were even. Tim and Kenny are commentators this tell-all. Kenny looks great. Tim, however, looks like he is playing dress-up. He has on like vinyl, shiny, skinny leg pants that don't fit him right. They don't fit him tightly like a skinny leg, so it's all creases. And he has on knee-high boots that look hideous, that have a little heel, with a turquoise t-shirt and a short sleeve button-up on top of it. And he's also wearing a magenta watch. None of it goes. It looks very odd. The pants don't even fit him right. It's like a disaster. Ken looks great, though. He definitely knows how to dress himself. Kara warns that she doesn't take a lot of shit from people, so she's going to see how it all goes. Bilal isn't worried about what anybody says. Emily is a little nervous. She knows she has bullets coming her way to dodge and to hit back with. But the whole cast has shit that they did that they aren't proud of too. So fuck it, she says. Shida says the gloves are completely off. If she has to say something, she isn't going to hold back. Sean reveals that two cast members are pregnant. My guess would be Thais and Kara, but we'll see. When Sean reveals it, Jibri automatically points at Kobe and Emily. He asks if it's baby number three. And Emily laughs. She says, no way. It's actually Thais and Kara who are pregnant. And it's a 90-day first with two people pregnant at the same time. Sean starts with Patrick and Thais. Thais is 16 weeks pregnant. And coincidentally, Kara is also 16 weeks pregnant as well. Sean asks Shida how married life is treating her. And Shida says it's going good. She is still learning about Bilal. It's a process. They are both still really getting to know each other. Although she and Bilal are married, they are still learning. Bilal says every week there is a new piece to the puzzle. They are both learning about each other and about the quirks that they both have. On the host asks if Bilal is admitting he has quirks. And Bilal says, for sure, 100%. Sean says, when we last saw Emily and Kobe, they had broken the news to Emily's father about her second pregnancy. Sean wants an update. They have an adorable little girl named Scarlett. They have two kids. Kobe is working now. And Emily is a stay-at-home mom like she always wanted to be. Kobe works testing asphalt, making sure they have the right specifications before they repave roads. Cody gets lots of overtime, so things are really good. Sean snarkily thanks Miona for dressing up for this tell-all. She points out that Jibri's family and friends had many concerns about his marriage to Miona. She asks how everybody is getting along now. Jibri says... They see he is happy. They see that Jibri is pushing forward, that he's doing well. And Jibri feels it's a lot of jealousy going on. So it's been rough. I sincerely doubt anyone is jealous of Jibri. Of what? I think Jibri has a really big ego. And when people provide Jibri with 
reasonable, constructive criticism. He just can't take it. He can't handle it because it doesn't align with the way he perceives himself or the way he wants to be seen. So then he projects and he deflects and he comes up with reasons why people aren't seeing things the way he is. I doubt, for example, David is jealous of Jibri. Of what? I doubt his parents are jealous or bitter. If things work out for Jibri, everyone wants to see Jibri happy. The people around him care tremendously for him. And Jibri seems to see their constructive criticism as everyone just being against him or being jealous. And that's really sad for him, just in my opinion. Again, I don't really know these people. I don't want to know these people. And all we get to see are highly edited, produced clips and a storyline. And that's not necessarily the full reality of things to really know what is going on. But based on what little we do see, that's my opinion. Jibri thinks his family and friends are jealous because he and Miona look good together and shine. That's what he says. He says, when you shine, people try to dim your light. Sean asks Miona if she thinks Jibri's mom is jealous of her. Miona says she isn't trying to compete with anyone, but there has definitely been a weird energy. Ari says if there is trouble with a mother-in-law, it's on the son a lot of the time because the son isn't giving the attention to the mom or maybe the mom came off as a bit defensive in the beginning when Miona met her, so maybe they felt it. Jibri asks if Ari thinks his mom is jealous. He points out that he thinks Ari is the most jealous person in the whole cast. He asks how she can say his mom is jealous. And Ari says, if she is jealous, can't she recognize jealousy in others? Jibri tells Ari she's right. She must be because she is jealous of everything. Tim thinks this tell-all will be a hell of a ride with Jibri's roller coaster of emotions. Kenny thinks Jibri came in looking for a fight. He says Jibri acts like he has a chip on his shoulder, but he will get a target on his back. I totally agree with Kenny. Ari tells Jibri he is jealous of her clothes, and Jibri says he isn't jealous of anything. Sean asks Ari and Binny how they are doing since they got married. They are doing good, but they still have the same types of issues, like problems with communication. Binny has some good news, though. He got his green card. He can work now and be a father. Binny is continuing on with MMA, and he is confident that he is the best fighter. Sean asks Binny if he wishes Ari was more supportive of him. Ari wants to be clear. She never told Binny, don't do this. She said if he is going to do it, he needs to be realistic about doing it. She says that's what her point is, for Binny to see the full picture. Sean knows one ongoing issue between them is jealousy. Ari wouldn't say she is very jealous. She would say, she is reasonable. She says you expect the person that you're with to tell you certain things. Ari asks Binny if he thinks that she is jealous. Binny hesitates and Jabri answers yes. Binny says it's just like what Jibri says, that Ari is overprotective. Jibri counsels Ari and Binny. He tells Ari she can't do that with Binny because he is trying to pursue his dream. Jibri says the more jealous Ari gets, 
it will just hold the relationship back. And they won't work out because Benny will reach to the top. But Ari is preventing him from getting there. Ari says Benny will reach to the top because Benny has people around him, including her, who help him and protect him. Jibri disagrees. He tells Ari she is pessimistic about Benny's career as a fighter. Ari says she believes Benny could do anything he wants. He has lots of potential, but he needs someone to push him and she pushes him. But she also asks Benny to also be realistic about things. Jibri insists, no, Ari is going to hold Benny back. And no one wants couples counseling from a 28-year-old grown-ass man that lives with mommy and daddy who threw a fit like a child just because his parents wanted to discuss his plans for moving out in the time period he agreed to move out. Jibri tells Ari she's hating and she has to stop. Ari points out Jibri said his own mom was hating and jealous of his relationship. Jibri responds that that's not the overprotective, overbearing stuff Ari does. She says Jibri feels it's him against the world. She tells Jibri he should be realistic too. And Jibri says no, Jess, that he and Benny set up a fight for 100K. Jibri says Ari is definitely holding Benny back. Really, does Jibri have 100K? I don't think so. I don't condone what Ari did at the gym when she flipped out like a nut because Benny's sparring partner was a female, but no one wants dating advice or relationship advice or marriage advice from a man-child with an overinflated ego and a big sense of entitlement. Chimes in that also what's not supportive is Ari rolling up on Benny's practice and threatening to fight his partner just because she's a woman. Ari agrees. She says that's true. Emily says she is a jealous person herself. So she loves that Kobe works alone in a lab. Kobe offers you can't be in love without being jealous. Patrick says if Thais saw him wrestling a girl on the floor, the building would have been on fire. Thais agrees. She says for sure. Ari says maybe if there was more communication, it would be easier to handle. Emily says she doesn't even have to ask Kobe what happened or what happened during his day, who he spoke to, whatever. Kobe will just come home from work and tell her this happened at work or I saw these people today. So she doesn't even ask him because she doesn't have to. Sean asks Kobe if he tells Emily everything that happened to him at work. And Kobe responds that he tells Emily what she needs to know. Emily says that's everything. She insists Kobe tells her everything. Jibri tells Emily they need a healthy amount of that. Jibri then goes back to Ari. He seems laser focused on deflecting on Benny and Ari. Asks Ari what happens when Benny wins the fight and he gets a million dollars a fight. He asks if Ari knows how many girls are going to be chasing Benny. And Jibri tells Ari she's going to be losing her mind. Kobe says the difference is how you handle your jealousy. He says everybody 
has jealousy. But how you express your jealousy, that's what matters. Kobe admits he's even jealous over Emily at times. But the way she expresses her jealousy makes the difference. Emily says it's different when there's a million women in Kobe's inbox telling him, if you need a green card, come marry me. Or women messaging him talking about his junk from the tidy whitey scene. Emily declares that she and Kobe fuck all the time. So all these women can just back off. I hope to God Emily is on birth control. And by the way, later on in this tell-all, we find out that's not exactly the case. Sean asks Kobe, what is this about the tidy whities Kobe then shows everyone his underwear. He has briefs on that say, I love you with Emily's face all over them and hearts all over them. Sean moves next to Eve and Muhammad. Sean asks how the relationship is now that they're married. Eve says they always got along well as far as being in each other's company. Now Eve can wear whatever she wants and Muhammad doesn't give her a hard time. Muhammad says since he got to America, he never told Eve to change her clothes. Sean remembers differently, as does everyone else. Of course, I remember differently too, and you guys probably remember differently as well. Muhammad says he never told her to change what she is wearing. He might just give his opinion, but he never told her she can't wear things or she can. Sean reminds Muhammad. She asks Muhammad, didn't you ask Eve to put a coat over her thong? Muhammad says when he came to America, it took him a long time to get Eve's lifestyle and to understand the culture as well. Jibri says Muhammad is learning. He's expanding through his relationship. But then Jibri goes back to Ari and Binny, saying he doesn't think they will work out. He says they won't work out. I think Jibri wants to project and deflect and Ari rubbed him the wrong way. So now the whole tell-all, he wants to attack Ari as a way to keep the attention off of himself for deflection purposes. Jibri tells Ari he doesn't think that their relationship will work out. He says they are fake. And he says he is just telling the truth. Ari responds, says the guy in the million dollar suit. Jibri tells Ari she will be mad when her man is wearing a million dollar suit. Jibri doesn't just think Ari and Binny won't work out. He says he knows it because he says Ari is too jealous and she is holding Binny back. He tells Binny she's holding you back, dimming your light. You're a star. She is not a star. I'm just being real with you. Binny looks annoyed. He has his hand to his head with just his middle finger flexed on his forehead, and it's definitely intentional. Sean moves to Patrick and Thais. The last we saw, they had just said, I do, without Thais's father's blessing. But since then, there is some big news, and there are some new developments in their life. Sean asks what their initial reaction was when they found out they were pregnant. Patrick was surprised. Thais was surprised and afraid. Patrick is really excited. Patrick was so surprised because a year ago he did fertility tests and he didn't have any sperm because of his past with steroid use. Patrick went to the doctor. He got the issue fixed. 
Thais told Patrick one day when she was in Zill that she thinks she's pregnant. And Patrick said, no, no way, because he was under the impression he had zero sperm. Like the doctor said, he could never have kids. And he told her at that point, he revealed the news that he could never have kids like the doctor told him. And he had never told her about this before. So she didn't know about that. She didn't know Patrick couldn't have kids. So she was very upset to discover it that way. He didn't tell her until they were together for a year, yet they always talked about having a baby one day. So Thais was pissed that Patrick never told her he couldn't have kids, and she was understandably pissed. But apparently he can. Patrick says that's one of the many things where he has tried to discuss it, but the language barrier makes it so Thais doesn't understand what he is talking about. Thais says they use Google Translator. Thais took six pregnancy tests, and every test was positive. She was hiding the tests in the top cabinet above the toilet. She didn't want to let Patrick know. Patrick says that's how Thais does everything. She doesn't tell you anything until it's exactly certain. Sean asks Thais, why she didn't tell Patrick after the first test or the second pregnancy test. Thais says she was trying to understand everything first. Patrick says Thais lied to him and made him make her a gyno appointment for something else. So Patrick made her the gyno appointment for some other reason. And after that appointment, she told Patrick it was real. Patrick didn't go with Thais to the appointment. So She told Patrick after the appointment, and he was mad because Thais invited her Brazilian friend to help translate, and her friend knew about the pregnancy before Patrick did. Patrick says it's Thais's way of doing things. Sean thinks it's interesting because Thais was upset with Patrick when Patrick was talking to John behind her back, and he wasn't telling her what was going on. Patrick says there's a few double standards in the relationship. Thais can look at all the messages on her own DMs, but Patrick isn't allowed to check his messages alone. He has to wait till Thais is there with him to check all of his messages to see if girls message him. Thais says it's because when she was in Brazil, he lied a little bit. He would say he's going to go to dinner with friends or out with his coworker or do this or that, or he's going home. And he has lied before. She doesn't trust him. He lied before when he said he was training a girl and he was actually dating her and making out with her and attempting to have sex with her. Thais isn't the jealous type, but she wanted honesty. And if Patrick wanted to be with that girl, he could. He's free. Thais wouldn't have minded. She just doesn't like being lied to. Thais says they were in a relationship when all of this happened. And Patrick says they weren't in a relationship. He says it was after the first time they met. And Thais says that's when Patrick was going to Brazil every month. Eight months after they were together is when this happened. Patrick was still looking at this girl's Instagram. Patrick was kissing the girl and seeing the girl while still with Thais. Patrick doesn't think that he and Thais were in a relationship at that point. He says it was a confusing time. Patrick says it was confusing because he dated this girl before he met Thais 
And then she went away and Thais came into this picture and the girl wanted to come back. And Patrick was going back with Thais. So it was really confusing because there was no full commitment to Thais yet and there wasn't a commitment to the other girl. Patrick was a single dude dating at that time. Thais asks Patrick while going to Brazil every month. She says he was dating her and he was also sleeping with her and sleeping with the other girl and dating her or at least he was attempting to have sex with her. Because apparently Patrick was drinking and Patrick had a case of whiskey dick. He has issues getting it up. He tried to have sex a few times with her different times and it just didn't work out. Patrick says there were attempts to have sex with the other girl, but there was heavy drinking involved. So it never happened. So basically Patrick couldn't get it up and that's why the sex didn't happen. But he tried. There were several attempts. And if his dick worked, he would have had sex for sure, in my opinion. Sean says it sounds like Patrick was dating two women at one time. Patrick says yes, and Thais says he was, and he was not honest with her. Patrick says he is pretty sure he told Thais what happened. Thais says he didn't tell her because if he did tell her, he wouldn't have been coming back to Brazil. Thais found out about Patrick's ways on the worst day, the day they were engaged. She had Patrick's cell phone. Patrick was swimming and she found out the day he proposed. Patrick says Thais is explaining the timeline wrong. It turns out Patrick sent this girl a message while he was in Brazil after one of the fights he had with Thais. Well, understands what Patrick was saying as far as that they were not committed yet. But Bilal says it still sounds like Patrick wanted to do some things with the other person and he was drunk so things didn't happen. Patrick says he was in the wrong. He's just trying to explain himself. Tim says it's scary because Patrick doesn't think what he did is wrong. He's trying to justify it. Kenny says Patrick didn't dip the stick, so it doesn't count. Tim says, in Patrick's mind, he thinks he didn't perform, so it's not cheating. Is it cheating if your junk don't work, Tim asks. Kenny says the whole cheating crap between Thais and Patrick happened three years ago. Tim says that's what happened. Thais got caught out on doing something wrong, so she brought up this thing with Patrick to deflect. Ari says, Jibri doesn't think her relationship with Benny is going to last, but she isn't concerned about Jibri because Jibri is just a bully. Jibri is taking off Miona's shoes during a break, and he says there's a lot of emotions going on in that room, and that Benny deserves better than that girl. He says, Ari, she's not good for him. He says, Ari has a mouthpiece on her, and that she's insecure woman. She is insecure about Benny. Jibri says they all have issues, but Benny and Ari have serious issues. Ari thought it was fucked up of Jibri to say that their relationship is fake. They have been together for three and a half years and they have a beautiful baby boy together and they love each other. Ari says she doesn't know if Benny loves her, but she loves him. 
Eve says it's hurtful to say to somebody, you are not going to work out. Toby thinks Jibri is just being who he is. Next in the hot seat are Kara and Guillermo. Sean says they've both had their share of doubts leading up to the wedding, but they cast those doubts aside and they ended the season happily married. But since then, their story has taken a major turn now that Kara is pregnant. Guillermo felt Kara was being too controlling and that she treated him like a child, especially when it came to planning the wedding. They flash back to those scenes during the season. Kara says sometimes Guillermo will say stuff and she wonders, did he think about that before it came out of his mouth? She thinks it's naive, like how little kids can be naive, and they just say things sometimes. Kara says there are times when she doesn't act 30, and Guillermo says he doesn't judge her. Hobie says Kara admits to the fact that she treats Guillermo like a child. He asks if that makes any sense since Guillermo will be the father of her child. Kara says she knows grown-ass men that still act like children. Kobe asks if Guillermo will accept just being treated like a child just to make Kara happy. Guillermo says no because he knows who he is. His mother raised him one way to be a man. Sean wants to know who feels like the adult in their relationship. Ari feels like the adult in hers. Jibri feels like the adult. Al feels like the adult. He doesn't feel like he treats Shida like a child, though. He tries not to. He thinks that they're equals. Shida tells Bilal he says she is naive. Bilal agrees. He says because Shida has been living in a box for her whole life and she's 37 and she isn't like a typical 37-year-old woman from America who has lived on her own, paying her bills. She doesn't have the life experience of other 37-year-olds. She never even paid bills on her own. She lived at her parents' house. Shida says Bilal doesn't have to say that on TV. Bilal says what we would consider basic things, he is trying to explain to Shida. And then Shida says he is lecturing her when he tries to do that. Miona says Bilal does sound like a professor sometimes. Patrick asks Kara, what about the laptop? He tells Kara she told him to get a toothbrush instead when Guillermo wanted to buy his own laptop. And he says it's condescending and controlling. Kara says the toothbrush is affordable. And Patrick disagrees. He says it's condescending and it's controlling. And Kara was trying to shut down Guillermo as fast as she can. As soon as he has an idea or a thought, Kara shuts him down. Guillermo agrees it's fucked up. Kara explains she thinks she thoroughly explained why they didn't need a laptop. And she told Guillermo to start with something small. It could have been anything, a toothbrush, a sock, a pair of underwear, anything. Patrick thinks when Kara gets condescending, it becomes controlling because Kara is controlling the conversation and shutting it down immediately. Guillermo gets no opinion. He gets no say. And Patrick says it's very typical of American women. Sean says Patrick just said all of the American women in here are controlling. And Patrick says yes. Kara says they are strong-willed, 
motivated and direct. Patrick chimes in or controlling. I do think Kara is controlling. She managed Guillermo in a way that took away his voice and his autonomy, and she was very condescending. But it's not a fair characterization of Patrick to say all American women are controlling. Emily points out that Kobe bought a laptop with his own money, and he barely uses it. Kara asks Guillermo how many times he has used his laptop since he got one. Guillermo says many times, and Kara wants Guillermo to be honest, and he admits it's been a couple of times. Kobe says it's not just talking about using a laptop. They are talking about American women and the attitude of control. And as a fiancé from a different country coming in, you feel like there's no respect. Kara says when Guillermo says he wants a computer on their very limited budget, she thinks, what is his brain thinking? Like he needs a computer when they have so many other things they need. She thinks it's like Guillermo isn't thinking about the future. Guillermo explains he just wants some independence. Mohammed knows where Guillermo is coming from. He isn't blaming Kara for saying no. But the reality is, Kara needs to have a conversation and make Guillermo feel that she understands. She needs to discuss it. That's Mohammed's advice. Patrick says Kara just puts Guillermo down. Guillermo thinks it's a conversation that goes respectfully from his side. But from Kara's side, she just says no. Kara says, is it hard to see why the answer is no? It's not rocket science. Guillermo says he prefers they communicate. Kara asks if instead of no, she said Guillermo right now, I just feel like now it's just not a good idea. She asks, would that be better? Full of snark. And Patrick says, Kara doesn't know how much that means to men. Kobe says there's a saying that 90% of the problems in the world are not about a difference of opinion. It's just the tone that's used. Back to Bilal and Shida, their 90-day journey started on the wrong foot. And it took a long time for them to find solid ground in their relationship. Sean points out how Bilal has called himself a neat freak. Bilal agrees. Sean asks if that has changed since Bilal and Shida got married. Shida says no. Bilal is very particular. Even here, during the tell-all, during the break, he told Shida when they ate that she was being super messy. Bilal says context is everything, so he expands on this. He says Shida had stuff all on her hands and she was about to touch him. And he had to tell her she had stuff all over her hands. She was messy. Sean asks Shida if she indeed had stuff all over her hands. And Shida says it was a little small speck. Bilal says it wasn't a small speck. And Guillermo saw it because he brought her some sanitizer. Shida says it's hard. It's difficult. When she came here, it was a complete shock. The biggest shock for Shida was the prank and the disagreements they had. They show the prank Bilal played when he pretended his old childhood home 
was his house that he lived in. He picked Shida up in a dirty work van rather than his car to see if Shida would accept him if he had nothing, if she thought he had absolutely nothing. Next, they show the scene where Bilal pulls over to the side of the road because Shida slightly grazes his face. Shida says when Bilal came to Trinidad, she rolled out the red carpet. She packed him food. She brought her parents. They treated Bilal like royalty. So Shida was expecting the same treatment in the U.S. But to come into that house, she felt bad. And Bilal wants her to be grateful and appreciative, but the house wasn't flattering. Kobe says the prank was the worst prank ever for him because Bilal put Shida in a position where everybody might feel that she's a gold digger, but it's actually the woman he intends to spend the rest of his life with. Kobe tells Bilal, come on, I agree with Kobe. Sean asks, what did Shida's reaction tell Bilal about her? Bilal knew Shida wouldn't be praising the prank house, but he didn't think she would have taken it as far as she did. Bilal says he would give her examples like, let's say I did have money and I lost it all. Would you leave me or would you stay and help me rebuild something? Eve says it sounds like there was a constant test going on there for quite some time. Bilal says it's interesting that Eve uses that word test and she talks about control. But when it comes to Eve, there isn't tests or control. Bilal says it's not a test. It's just words of affirmation. They always talk about the same thing. They want to build an empire together. Ari tells Bilal he always has an answer for everything. And Ari thinks that's suspicious. She feels like Bilal deflects and tries to tell Shida how she feels. Sean wants to discuss the car argument. She asks, who thinks that Shida was being too physical with Bilal in the car? And no one feels Shida was too physical. Shida says sometimes women test men to see what they can get away with. Bilal interrupts her. He wants to point out that Shida used the word test. And Shida says, this is for her to answer. Shida says Bilal played a prank and she was expected to tell Bilal to chill and relax. She wasn't expecting Bilal to get so serious when he pulled over. That is when she realized this man can't take a joke. He dishes it, but he just can't take it. Emily says, if you're pulling over, I'm getting out. I'd get my own Uber. Bilal says one thing he would never, ever, ever do is kick Shida or any woman out of the car. All he wanted was Shida to stop hitting him in the head. She didn't hit him in the head. She jokingly, barely, lightly tapped his head. If that. Bilal admits in hindsight he should not have done it and he should have apologized. Shida says that Bilal said, she was being aggressive, as if she was hitting him in an aggressive way. Shida tells Bilal, trust her. He hasn't seen her act aggressively yet. And Bilal says he's seen her aggressive. He's definitely seen at side of Shida. Guillermo tells Bilal he wants to be like him when he grows up.
with the way he talks and the way he says sorry. Guillermo says that's one of the most important things, to accept, to take responsibility. Patrick tells Guillermo it's a sales tactic because Bilal is a salesman, an amazing salesman, and that's what we are all witnessing right now. No one can really get their point across. Patrick says if they do get their point across with a salesman, just gets twisted. And being a salesman, Patrick is watching in awe, he says. Ari points out she thinks it's a manipulation tactic. Sean asks what Bilal thinks about Patrick's assessment, that the tactics Bilal uses are like a salesman. Bilal says he is a salesman and Patrick is a salesman. He's selling, they all sell. So Bilal feels he is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Patrick says it will never stop. He knows when to say what and how the other person will react and he knows how to drop his tone and how to get people engaged. It's a habit now for Bilal. Sean asks Patrick how he thinks that manifests itself in Bilal and Shida's relationship. Patrick says easily, Bilal will do a timeout, he'll take control, he'll tell Shida he gets what she is saying, but he sees it his way and he explains his point. Ais points out as Patrick is explaining this that this is exactly what Patrick does with her. Patrick admits it. Shida says if she brings something up with Bilal, she feels like he is like a salesperson. He always has something to say back. He always has to win a conversation. Patrick explains that's called overcoming objections. Sean asks Bilal if a comment about his behavior, does he automatically deflect and say, well, what about your behavior, as opposed to just listening and fixing the behavior that Shida is pointing out? Bilal says no, and Shida disagrees with that. She agrees with Sean. She says that's exactly it. Eve thinks it's important to hear something and to validate it versus always having to say something back. She says sometimes you just have to listen and validate because it's good for communication. Bilal says he's 100% open to improving. He knows that he can do things differently, but sometimes he doesn't know when it's the right time for him to say something. Is it ever the right time because if he says something, then to Shida, it's a lecture and he's lecturing her. Shida says the right time is any normal day to point out his issues because Shida will know it's coming from a place of Bilal wanting to improve himself. But when she mentions something she doesn't like about him, then he deflects, mentioning something he doesn't like about her. And it comes across like he's deflecting and like he's trying to make Shida look like she has problems too as a way to not address his own issues. Shine mentions how Shida made it clear she didn't want a prenup. She asks Shida if she hadn't gotten those additional clauses added to the prenup if Shida was prepared to go back home to Trinidad. Shida says yes, she wasn't getting married without those clauses added to the prenup. She wasn't going to sign it or get married. She felt Bilal was headstrong about the prenup and she isn't for it. So she thought, 
let us meet in the middle. So she wanted to add two clauses that support what she wants. The first clause is trying to make a baby before 40. And the second clause is that Bilal will help her set up her business in Kansas City. And there is no contingency in place in the prenup for anything Shida would get if Bilal doesn't have kids with her by 40 or open her business. Bilal explains it just means that they will try everything in their power to have kids, but ultimately it's up to God. I cannot understand knowing you want kids and knowing that a man is so unenthusiastic to have kids that it's like pulling teeth and you have to put it in writing. And Shida consents, Bilal doesn't want to have kids. He has zero conviction about it. She put it in the prenup. But why would you want kids with a man who you have to try to contractually obligate, who isn't enthusiastic and wanting children with her deeply? I would rather have no kids than just have them with someone who didn't deeply want that with me if I feel I have to put it in writing to try and get a man to have kids with me because they don't seem that willing. That says everything to me. I think Shida could find someone who would love to have kids with her. I don't think that Bilal is that excited to have kids. Shahida, Bilal's ex-wife and the mother of his kids, is at the tell-all to state her piece. There was a breakdown in the communication between Shida and herself, and that then caused a breakdown with the ex-wife and Bilal. And when the truth is revealed, she says Bilal will owe her an apology, and Shida will too, and then they can all move forward in a positive space from there. Sean tells Shahida, Bilal's ex, that after 10 years of marriage, one of them fell out of loves. And she asks if that is how Shahida would describe it. Shahida says they had some issues for some time and they tried to figure things out for the kids. But she says when you're unhappy, you have to take a step back and do what's best for yourself and the kids. Sean asks Shahida what made her most unhappy with the marriage to Bilal. Shahida wanted a best friend and a partner and she felt like she was receiving from Bilal, more of an imam or a father figure, when she was wanting to hear from her husband. Sean asks if Bilal was lecturing her, and Shahida, the ex-wife, says yes. Sean asks who asked for the divorce, and Shahida asked for the divorce around that time. She felt very unhappy because Bilal is very particular about how he wants the house. So when you have two small kids, that becomes a problem with how the house could be in a disarray. So it makes you feel very uneasy. Shahida says, Bilal is definitely a neat freak. Sean asks Shida, she says, neat freak, controlling, lecturing. Does that give her any reason to be concerned that that same behavior is still there? And Shida admits, she is seeing a pattern. She says Shahida was young back then. But as a 37-year-old woman, she still wants to work. She wants to help Bilal. She wants to work on the relationship. She isn't going to give up on the relationship. Sean has noticed since Shahida first came out that Shida hasn't looked at her at all. And Shida agrees with that assessment. 
Sean asks why Shida hasn't even looked in Jahida's direction. Shida says, to be honest, she still doesn't like how Shahida came at her in her home, in her kitchen. It still hurts. When she first came to the U.S., Shida was hoping for them to have a sisterhood. She was hoping they would be friendly. But Shida says, once you show her who you are, then she withdraws back. So Shida is sitting and listening. Shahida says, Shida is saying when she came to her home that her tone and delivery were disrespectful. And Shahida says about the prenup, there is a need to have a marriage contract under U.S. laws. It's a necessity, especially when Shida is coming into a marriage and she has no assets. Shida says, who is coming into a marriage with no assets? She tells Shahida, you don't know me. You don't know my life back home. Shida thinks that was shade from Shahida. Shahida explains, when she says no assets, she means in America. Shida doesn't have a car. She doesn't even have her own home back in Trinidad. Back home, Shida lived with her parents. Therapist Jibri chimes in. He says he can see through all of this and everyone is really hurt and they all need to just sit down and talk about it. Wow, Jibri seems to really view himself as the group counselor today, like the relationship expert. But look how fast Jibri turned on his parents when he realized they would make him move by the deadline he set. All of a sudden, his parents, who allowed a 28-year-old toddler to live at home with them, with his fiancée, were on some bullshit in the blink of an eye. His parents, who graciously allowed him to stay there, were now on some bullshit just because they were wanting their son to conform to his plan of moving out. And now Jibri all of a sudden feels qualified to counsel all the couples when he doesn't have his own shit together at all. He didn't this season. Instead of thanking his parents and being gracious, Jibri threw a tantrum that they treat him like he's 15 and that they're on some bullshit when he is a 28-year-old man living at home. Most people don't have that luxury. They don't have parents who would, who would allow them at 28 to live at home with mommy and daddy but there was just entitlement and no gratitude from jabri and the second they tried to make it clear that jabri had to be responsible he had to move when he said he was going to move jabri wasn't appreciative and he said his own parents were on some bullshit when he was on some bullshit and he felt entitled and he had not a scrap of gratitude for the sacrifice his parents were making so it's very interesting that now Jibri seems so adamant to be giving advice. Shida notices similarities in Shahida's issues with her marriage to Bilal and her own issues with Bilal. So Shida thinks this will hit Bilal where it hurts. Shida thinks now Bilal will make a conscious decision to do what is best for both of them. Sean wants to know what's going on in Bilal's mind when he is hearing both his ex and his current wife, Shida, say those things about him. Bilal says it doesn't feel good. He admits lecturing he has done and being a neat freak he has done. But they live in an oppressive word environment. And words make people. Words can give you life. Or it could cause destruction. 
Bilal says he is a loving husband and a dedicated father. He has his faults, but he is trying to look inwards and improve himself. He says he's got to go to the tool shed and get to work. Sean wants to know Shahida's reaction to Shida's reaction to the prank house. Shahida says she was sad for Bilal by the way Shida acted because this is the person he told her loves him for him and she would even stay in a tent with him, he said, no matter what. But Shida couldn't even stay one day in the house. So Shahida was hurt for Bilal by the way Shida acted. And Shahida makes it clear she lived in that house for two years. That was Bilal's family home. And she was very grateful to have a home to come to. So for Shida to behave that way, Shahida was taken aback by it and she was hurt. Shida respects Shahida's opinion because at the end of the day, she says, an opinion is like a nose. Everybody has one. Now, usually that saying is opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. But maybe in Trinidad, they say opinions are like a nose. Everybody has got one. I thought everybody seemed unimpressed with Bilal throughout the season. But Tim thought Bilal had some really good attributes, like he's successful, he's determined, He's ambitious. He cared about his kids. He had a good relationship with his ex. Tim says there are a ton of good qualities about Bilal. Kenny felt Bilal was a little condescending with the lecturing. Tim felt Shida was bratty and entitled. Kenny feels Bilal put Shida in a position to look like a gold digger. Tim doesn't agree. He says you don't make fun of somebody's house. Kenny thinks Shida was in shock because she pictured Bilal totally differently. So in her mind, Bilal fooled her. Kenny thinks it's even between them. Next in the hot seat are Eve and Muhammad. They had lots of tense moments in their 90 days. Muhammad says today they are in a better place. Every relationship has downs and they had a lot of downtimes before they got married. Eve thinks things are much better. They are working on their communication, but of course, there are always adjustments. Kara says, from the beginning, Eve and Muhammad were the couple for her where she didn't know how this was going to work out. Muhammad says when he got to America, it took him time to understand the culture. He realized that Eve is a grown woman and she should be the one who chooses her clothes. Sean asks if that means Eve can wear anything and Muhammad won't wear. Sean asks if that means Eve can wear a bikini in public. Eve says if she is video chatting with Muhammad going to the store in a tank top, he comments, you're wearing that to the store? Muhammad suggests she should wear something over that. Kara thinks it's not anybody's place to tell anybody else how they should go out of the house or what makes them feel comfortable or projecting their insecurities on somebody else. I agree with Kara. Jibri, the camp counselor, chimes in. He asks Kara if she has ever been to Egypt. Jibri says he has been a couple times and there aren't a lot of people running around in bikinis out there. Jibri says Muhammad is adapting and he gives Muhammad a lot of respect for that. 
Eve says there's a double standard. Muhammad can post to social media almost naked and Eve can't because it makes him uncomfortable. And Jibri says that's how it is in Egypt. So it's okay when some of the cast points out at first Jibri said Muhammad was adapting and now he is saying the double standard is acceptable because of how the culture is back in Egypt. How both of those things are contradictory. Jibri insists Muhammad is adapting and learning. Sean points out that Muhammad says Eve has anger issues. And Muhammad says Eve reacts a lot when they get in arguments. Eve thinks it comes down to communication because Muhammad can say things that are mean, like saying he will go back to Egypt. He says hurtful things. Muhammad says it's more hurtful for a man to be told by his wife, I'm supporting you. Emily points out what Muhammad says about going back to Egypt is hurtful as well. Muhammad says he says that to protect himself. Sean brings up how Muhammad told Eve he would find another sponsor. Muhammad asks, why did I say that rhetorically? He says, because she didn't have the taxes done and that was the reason why she delayed his paperwork. Emily says that screams red flag, green card. Kara says that screams replaceable. Emily tells Muhammad that's hurtful. Sean points out that when Muhammad arrived, he thought Eve would completely change her whole life for him. She asks if Eve feels in any way that she led Muhammad on. Eve says, absolutely not. She says without him asking her, she took note of his culture and she changed things before Muhammad even arrived, like not having alcohol in her home and there were still a lot of changes there were a lot of things that came that were a reverse culture shock because Eve is in her culture in America and Muhammad was telling her she can't be alone in a room with a handyman that's doing something in the house. Muhammad says they are very protective of women in his religion. It's not protective, it's controlling in my opinion. Muhammad isn't saying the handyman can't come in. He's saying, be careful. He knows in America it's fine, but in his country, they do that. A married woman should not be in a room with another man by herself. They should at least leave the door open. Sean asks Bilal if that's the case for himself and Shida as well. She asks if he isn't home and a worker comes over. Is Shida not to be in the house or the room by herself with another man? Bilal says it's not that she can't be there. Bilal thinks what Muhammad is trying to convey is that they put a heavy emphasis on protecting the woman at all costs in Islam. Women are put on a pedestal. Yes, put on a pedestal and separated at prayers and expected to submit to the husband and to let the husband be the authority and the head. This put the woman on a pedestal is code for controlling in my opinion, for allowing the man to control and for the woman to be submissive under the guise of, oh, it's a big bad world, we're protecting you. The man has to protect the woman. Women don't want or need that type of protection. They are more than capable to handle themselves. Bilal says it's not about not trusting the woman. They don't trust the men. And there's a difference between religion and culture. 
So he brings up the fact that some of the things Muhammad is speaking on are cultural and not religious. Bilal says, typically speaking as a woman, you try not to be in the company by yourself with someone who isn't a close male relative. Sean asks Shida if she understands Muhammad's point about Eve not being alone with the handyman installing his precious bidet. Shida understands, but in a situation, it's all about intention. And she understands Eve and she says, what would you think as a woman marrying an Egyptian man? A blind man without spectacles could see this would happen with Eve and Muhammad. Muhammad is worried about the image in front of his family, he says. Sean asks what his family has said about Eve's pictures. They got upset. Eve says initially when she and Muhammad started talking, she remembers the day, he said, he showed his mom her picture. And Eve was thinking, what will she? Eve was wondering which picture Muhammad showed her. Eve wondered if Muhammad's mom thought it was blasphemous. Like, here's this American woman with the blonde hair and this and that. And he told Eve in their religion, we don't judge people. So Eve never felt she had to change who she was. Muhammad says Eve wants to say she is an independent woman and he is fine with that. But he comes from an Egyptian family. Miona asks a great question. Miona asks Muhammad, how weak is the relationship if a bikini can destroy it? She asks if he thinks it would be better if she is a Muslim woman or if she converts. Muhammad says they talked about it, but it has to come from Eve and not from Muhammad telling her to convert. Next up are Kara and Guillermo and Kara's high school boyfriend, Chris, had a lot to say to Guillermo at Kara's high school reunion. They play that clip of Chris, Kara's ex, telling Guillermo he found out Kara was seeing other people when she was still asleep and he was up. And he saw her phone message about kissing someone else. So he ended the relationship. Chris is at the tell-all to share more secrets about Kara's past. Chris and Kara dated for over two years. Things were serious. They even discussed weddings. They had a wild relationship. Kara says they were just horny teens. Kara cheated on Chris. Kara says in her mind when she left to go to college... She was leaving all of it behind, her life and Chris, and she was moving on to her future. But she admits she didn't communicate this well to Chris. Kara didn't think that she and Chris were still a thing when she moved away. She assumed it was over. Chris thinks that's bullshit. But chimes in that no one is perfect. Guillermo admits he even cheated before when he was drunk. He was wrong, but he learned from it. Sean asks if anyone else here ever cheated on their partner. Ibri says Miona would consider it cheating. He didn't exactly cheat, but he called his exes to apologize for how he handled things before in the past. Jibri told Miona he called all of his exes to apologize and they almost broke up over that. Patrick says Thais did the same thing. Emily reveals Kobe took his ex out on a date in another country when she was at home with their son. Kobe says he told Emily about it. Emily says he didn't tell her right away. He told her weeks later. Sean reminds Chris 
how he said Guillermo wasn't man enough for Kara. John asks Chris if he still thinks that. Chris first says he doesn't know, and then he says, yeah. Guillermo responds, motherfucker, nobody can tell me how much or how less of a man I am. The only person who can say that is himself. And Guillermo says he loves himself a lot. And Kara says she loves Guillermo too. And Thais chimes in that she likes that. Kara says Guillermo is clearly man enough for her as she motions to her stomach. Jibri tells Kara to leave Ozzy Osbourne in the past. She has James Bond now. He tells Chris he's old news. He heard about her and he needs to get over her and get on with his life. And he needs to learn to trust women. Chris says bullshit. Jibri tells Chris he will figure it out. Guillermo tells Kara, in his opinion, she should just apologize to Chris. Kara apologizes to Chris. She says she's sorry that she did not fully break up with him, but she didn't feel she owed him an explanation at that point for who she was seeing. She just didn't feel she owed him that. Chris says they are grown now. He tells Guillermo he appreciates him saying that, though. Guillermo says he is a toddler at the end of the day, so he's also not man enough, too, he jokes. Ari says if Guillermo's a toddler, he's a very smart toddler. Kenny thinks Kara and Guillermo have come a long way and that Kara has mellowed out some. As they're pregnant, they're going to have a family. He says Guillermo is mature. The boyfriend has to grow up and move on, though. Next up are Patrick and Thais. A reoccurring issue centered around Thais's dad. Her dad never felt Patrick was a good match for Thais. Ultimately, he refused to bless their wedding. John asks Thais if her dad likes Patrick today. Thais says she thinks so, as Patrick shakes his head no. Thais really thinks her dad likes him now. Carlos Thais's dad will be joining the tell-all remotely from Brazil. Sean tells Carlos he didn't even want his daughter to get married to Patrick. She asks how Carlos felt learning his daughter and Patrick were expecting a baby. It was hard to accept at first because Carlos wasn't expecting Thais to get pregnant immediately. Because, he says, when you get married, usually you want to really get to know the person better at first and maybe get pregnant after one, two, or three years. But Thais got pregnant immediately. Thais says her dad was cold when she told him she was pregnant. He didn't even congratulate her. And Thais was very upset. Carlos says he wasn't ready to be a grandfather so he was left in a state of shock when he first found out. Patrick tells Carlos he'll have the same problem with Thais as he did because they are having a girl. Carlos says a child is always welcome. It's a welcome blessing in everyone's lives. Carlos doesn't want Patrick to like him. He wants Patrick to like his daughter. He says as long as Patrick treats his daughter well, it's not important if he likes Patrick. Thais is the one who needs to like him. 
if she likes him and Patrick makes her happy, that's what's important. Thais tells her dad she misses him and she starts bawling and her dad starts bawling too. She will visit as soon as she has her visa. And Carlos says it's really good to hear that his daughter loves him. He says nowadays it's very rare for a daughter to say she loves her dad. Thais and John have a volatile relationship. So John has now come to join the cast at the tello. John is excited to be an uncle. John actually got drunk and he told some girl and the girl congratulated Thais about her pregnancy on her Instagram. But Thais hadn't told her family yet. Thais asked the girl who told her about the pregnancy. And she told her, John spilled the beans. John says he doesn't remember, but it probably was him. Jibri is clearly PMSing today. He doesn't like John at all. Here, he accuses John of being drunk right now on the show. Jibri asks how many beers John has had today. And John tells Jibri his sparkles are blinding him. John mentions how... John and Thais's interactions were contentious. They flash back to all of their quarrels. John admits he was trash-talking Thais. He says it was his bad. John says he loves Patrick and he wants Patrick and Thais to be happy. John thinks Thais is good for Patrick and they are both good for each other. John says he is a combative person, so if you say something to him, Then he fires back. Sean asks if John thinks Patrick is whipped. And John thinks so 100% without a doubt. Jibri says Patrick will be happy and have a happy family and John won't. John responds, okay, Sparkles. John says he's just glad Jibri doesn't have his cowboy hat on or he would have pissed his pants with laughter. He says, yippee ki Woody. And Jibri tells John he is a joke. And John says he was having a conversation with Patrick, but then Jibri opened his mouth and then he has to respond to John. John apologizes and Jibri tells Patrick he needs to stop third wheeling, bro. Jibri says John is all up in Patrick and Thais's business and Patrick is his brother. John asks Jibri how his family is doing on the farm. And John asks Jibri if he is still living at home. He tells Jibri, come on now, Sparkles. Jibri says John is talking about his brother's girl. John tells Jibri to get off the titty. Jibri tells John to look at his brother. He's happy as John is lonely at home, drinking six packs of beer, playing video games. He tells John to chill. The episode cuts off there. Next time on 90 Day Fiance, The Couples Tell All Part 2, John asks Jibri if he's crying and John says it sounds like he's crying. Jibri says he doesn't want to escalate to that point. John tells Jibri if he's going to bring it, he's got to take it. Jibri says he ain't taking nothing. John is giving. He says John will be the one taking a lot. John tells Jibri, okay, Sparkles, and Jibri warns he will knock John out. John tells Jibri he won't. That's not how the story ends. 
Kara tells Vinny he asked Ari to come say bye to his sisters after they threw red wine in her face on her. Kara says, that's your wife. That's the mother of your child. She asks Vinny, where's the line? Ari says, that was messed up, the wine incident. Shida says, no one deserves to have wine thrown at their face. She says they could have handled that situation differently. Shida feels for Ari a lot. Sean asks Emily and Kobe, what does raising two kids do to your own intimacy? And Kobe reveals they haven't had sex in a long time. Earlier this tell-all, Emily wanted it known that she and Kobe fuck all the time. And now Kobe's revealing they haven't had sex in a long time. Emily says if Kobe puts it in, she knows she's getting pregnant. Shida suggests they talk to Bilal because Bilal knows how to not get a woman pregnant. Sean mentions that Eve's squad was pretty critical of Muhammad, and Tatiana makes an appearance. She wants to ask any of the other couples if their person had ever told them that they would get another sponsor. Muhammad says this is his personal stuff. Tatiana says her question is, why? And Muhammad says it's not anybody's business. She whispers to Muhammad. She tells Muhammad, stop, you need to chill. David makes an appearance. Jibri says when he got with Miona, he wasn't necessarily happy. He was just looking at their situation like, huh, must be nice. Jibri tells David, this is my wife. This ain't my girlfriend no more. And David says Miona rubbed him the wrong way. Jibri walks off set. He says, this is effing bullshit. I think it's interesting how Jibri is eager to give his two cents to all the couples playing relationship counselor when he can't even sit face to face and communicate effectively with a guy who claims is like a brother to him. But he wants to advise everyone else on what they should do in their own relationships. Wow. That does it for this episode. I'll be back next week for part two of the tell-all. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye.